The EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Olya Jordanian, an EU Futures Project Coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is May 4th, and I talk to Graham Wilson, a professor of political science at Boston University. My name is Graham Wilson. I'm a professor of political science here at Boston University, and I also serve as director of the Initiative on Cities here. What is the future emerging in Europe now? Well, the question right now is the resilience of the European Union in the face of Brexit and the other challenges that are coming uh, or are evident, with, for example, with Marine Le Pen and the uh, French presidential election on Sunday. Uh, but the wave of uh, antipathy to European uh, institutions that has been evident uh, I guess most obviously in in the south, in Greece, in Italy, uh, but also uh, underlying currents of nationalism and hostility to European-wide institutions in Northern Europe, in Sweden, Denmark, uh, Germany. Why do you think this kind of hostility exists? That's a very important question. It's tempting to say in some cases that it's because of the role of Europe in imposing unpopular policies. If you think of Greece and the uh, Troika, of which the European Union is part, imposing austerity policies. And for uh, a country like that, uh, to some degree for Italy, Europe looks like outside interference, uh, combined with uh, unpopular uh, conservative with a small c policies. I think that more broadly that we have this question, not only in Europe, but even beyond that now, as to whether or not we are seeing the the return to the nation-state, the triumph of the nation-state over multilateral uh, and international commitments. That's obviously evident in American politics right now, uh, and I think that this is a a real question that, that we face. So that's also probably a question of identity. In more broader sense, do you think the European Union has successfully created this kind of European identity it was striving for years to to create? That's uh, a complicated question to answer because in different places, different different reactions. So uh, in Italy, uh, you, well, I, we've talked about this reaction against European institutions. For a long time, Italy was the place that loved Europe. I mean, it was the place that didn't trust and like its own national government, and Europe was better. And now that, that has somewhat uh, been reversed or, is, or has become more questionable. Uh, in uh, with with Britain, uh, the role of national and with the Le Pen vote in in France, the question of national identity is very important. Uh, national identity 
threatened by what though? But yes, just in some of the rhetoric by the European Union, uh, or in the case of France and Le Pen by the by the euro and the European Central Bank. Uh, but it obviously taps into much deeper fears of immigration, of uh, societal change, of globalization, uh, for which uh, European institutions can, be, can, can take the blame. Not in necessarily in reality, but in terms of popular perceptions and popular anger. Nicholas Newman thought that it's unusual that democracy keeps open the possibilities of future choices. So what's your perception of democracy? And also, what is the role of democracy in influencing the emerging future in Europe? In a way, I'd go back to what we were just talking about, because we've long talked about democratic deficits in European institutions, and that part of the critique of the, Europe, of the EU, as you know, is this notion that it's a, a group of elite uh, bureaucrats getting together and making critical decisions without democratic accountability. Uh, so that argument has al already always been there. I think perhaps what is a bit uh, new is the, the emergence of people like Theresa May in Britain uh, or Steve Bannon in the United States saying that the, the nation-state is the natural unit and it's, the, it's through the, the, the nation-state that you uh, can have uh, people feel an identity with, uh, with, with their government and that anything beyond that is suspect. Uh, you even get a certain left-wing variant of this now in uh, people coming in and saying that it's the nation-state through which people can have a measure of control and it's the nation-state through where you can have some notions of solidarity that can provide a basis for uh, a uh, redistributed policy and that uh, attempts to establish that even at the European level from, from the north to the south are a chimera that uh, German taxpayers are never going to be happy subsidizing Greece. They're always going to come up with the stereotype of the southern Europeans not working hard enough, etc. Do you think European citizens have the tool to actually influence political processes at the European level beyond going and casting their vote during the European parliamentary elections? Well, I think that I wouldn't minimize the potential importance of casting their votes in the European parliamentary elections because, of course, one of the transformations in the European Union over the last 15, 20 years has been the growing power of the European Parliament, which uh, 25, 30 years ago was... Uh, uh, it was really just a talking shop, and now it has some real uh, significant powers. It, it not as uh, it, it is re still reactive to initiatives from the from the European Commission, but nonetheless, it, it certainly be, has the potential to be a, a very important politically complicating factor in European policy making. So I wouldn't dismiss voting in those elections. Uh, there is a very large network of, of interest groups in Brussels, there, as, uh, just as there are in Washington, D.C. I mean, I've seen it suggested that there are 17,000 people working for interest groups in 
in, in Brussels, which would be even more than the number of, work of lobbyists working for interest, American interest groups in Washington, D.C. So the, the interest group uh, network is, is very important. Uh, obviously, like uh, interest group networks elsewhere, uh, there is a tremendous concern that, that it, is, it is in practice biased towards uh, those with resources, particularly business, but that's another way that European uh, citizens can hope to have an influence. And I think the European Union has been uh, much more active than most national governments or, uh, for example, the American government in trying to provide uh, access to citizen and environmental groups. We see some rise in populism across Europe and also some rise in nationalism. Do you see it as a threat to democracy and the uh, European idea, the European project? Populism uh, comes in different forms. Most generally, populism is uh, a sort of mobilization of the masses against something. But against what is the question? And there have uh, obviously been populisms which have been based on mobilization against unpopular minorities, uh, Jews, uh, uh, perhaps now uh, Muslim uh, immigrants, uh, perhaps before that uh, immigrants from uh, different racial origins. Uh, so there is that type of, uh, of populism uh, of the right, but there's also been a, a populism of mobilization against uh, powerful interests, uh, powerful economic interests, banks, historically railroads, etc. Uh, so uh, it, it pop, the, 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 the intriguing thing about populism is that you're never sure which way it will go. And it can be uh, a form of democratic activism against the privileged. It always has this danger of going in the opposite direction of being mobilized, mobilization against the uh, people who are already in a weak and powerless position uh, and if it's the latter then the allegation is always that the elites are nurturing them, protecting them at the expense of, of ordinary people and uh, of course you know we saw that sort of rhetoric in the United States with the Trump campaign that sort of rhetoric was very evident in at least a big part of the Leave campaign in the United Kingdom and it's also evident in the uh, support for Le Pen in the French presidential election. You could keep going, you could point to Wilders in the, in the Netherlands, uh, AFD in Germany, uh, etc. So that's the, the uh, if you like, the excitement for the danger of populism is does it mobilize people uh, against people who objectively have got a lot of power and privilege? Or does it mobilize people against people who are uh, badly treated, who are already uh, on the margin? Uh, I was going to say badly treated, vulnerable, uh, in need of, of, of more support and assistance. What kind of Europe would you like to see in the future? Well, first of all, I would hope to see a, a Europe that uh, survives institutionally. Uh, I would like to see a Europe in which it is, as present, uh, uh, possible for people to move around and work in different places and 
sell their product and their services in, in different places. But I would like to see a Europe where people feel uh, more comfortable sharing and appreciating each other's traditions. And I, I do think that one of the problems with Europe has been that it has become, in a way, a, 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 a version of the neoliberal project and that alone, uh, that it has become, uh, you know, and, and I don't dismiss that. I think economic integration and cooperation is, is important. But, it, but the, the, the vision of a Europe where we get together and we uh, enjoy each other's cultures and customs and the person-to-person -person, uh, respectful contact, I think that that, that sort of really cheerful vision has has been eroded. I have a childhood memory that my father, who was a school teacher, used to take uh, his uh, uh, class, uh, it was an all-boys school, to what was called the International Eisteddfod. The Eisteddfod is a celebration of, of Welsh culture, but the International Eisteddfod was a celebration of, of folk music and traditions from many different co countries that was held in the same place as the, as the Welsh Eisteddfod, but it was it was people from all over the place and the spirit was that you went and you heard different folk music from different places and you 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 appreciated other people's cultures and celebrated that as well as your own and I hope that we can get back in Europe to having that sort of cross-European celebration of each other's traditions and cultures uh, as long uh, as along with the uh, neoliberal economic spirit. What do you think of Brexit and how it's going to actually influence the future of European integration? I found the Brexit vote extraordinarily difficult to understand uh, because although I am not a total admirer of the institutions of the European Union by any means, I thought it extraordinary that Britain would risk so much. Uh, the risk to its financial industry. And uh, I know bankers are not popular, but on the other hand, the financial sector has been Britain's successful knowledge sector, and it accounts for a huge 12% uh, of GDP. The risk to the uh, automobile industry, which has been uh, uh, renaissance in, in Britain, uh, and the, just as an embodiment of that, the northeast of England, where the Nissan plant is located, that is designed to supply the European market, not just the British market, would vote for Brexit. I, I thought, why would these people take such a, a, a terrible risk? And uh, as we know, there have always been people in the Conservative Party on the right of politics who have hated the European Union. Uh, they have hated it in part because they are genuine believers in preserving national sovereignty. They have hated it because uh, I think they're correct in sensing that the centre of gravity in European politics is to the left of the centre of gravity in, in British politics. And, uh, you know, so we, we must remember that the majority of people who voted for the Labour Party in the uh, 2015 general election uh, voted uh, to remain in the 
uh, European Union. But clearly there was this critical defection of working class voters uh, to uh, the uh, away from the the uh, Remain side, which was the official policy of the of the Labour Party, and uh, I think that that it is. Uh, very sad that those people voted to leave because I think those are the people who will pay the price for leaving. I think the only economic future for Britain outside the European Union is to be the low regulation, low tax alternative to being a country in the European Union and that will mean a lower level of, of services, a lower level of protection in terms of workplace uh, safety and health and employment rights uh, for the for the people that I'm I'm talking about. Uh, so I think the, the 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 question is why did they do it? And I think that the uh, key factor that turned uh, what had been a somewhat peculiar fringe preoccupation on the right of the Conservative Party into a popular cause was immigration and the uh, fear of uh, competition for jobs, but I think more broadly a, a cultural fear uh, that, uh, that uh, immigration represented a feeling that the country was being changed and transformed in a way that people like that had no control over. The brilliant slogan for the Leave campaign was take back control. Now if asked, well what do you mean by that, they would give a very constitutional answer that we mean that laws affecting Britain will be made in Britain and they won't be made as directives by the European Union. But I think its brilliance was that it played on a lot of psychological insecurity over change, over immigration, the changing face of the country and related to immigration, but also the the, the changes in uh, society and uh, societal values that that was were, that were really completely unrelated to the European Union. Uh, we know that the people who were most likely to vote to leave the European Union were people who were uh, uh, appalled by, uh, shocked by societal changes such as gay marriage, feminism. Uh, they were people who um, believed in the death penalty, which hasn't existed in Britain for for nearly 50 years now. Um, so, uh, and, and as perhaps that implies, they tended to be older people, they tend to be people with less education. And so I think what was behind the triumph of Brexit was not only the uh, fear of immigration as such, but I think that the even deeper fears that it tapped of being in a world that people no longer understood, felt they could control, etc. We talked about populism, nationalism, also the future, democracy. Is there anything else you would like to talk about in terms of Europe, the future of Europe, the future of EU? Maybe the policies you find problematic or the past crisis? I think that for me, uh, and, and I'm afraid this is perhaps repeating the previous point, the question is how do we have a, a Europe of the peoples as well as a, a, Europe, a single European market? And I think that 
for a lot of people, the, uh, that Europe of, Europe of the peoples has been what has been lacking. Thank you so much. Okay. Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C. 